Welcome to another episode of Men's Bible Study. Today, Dr. Justin Hillhouse joins us as we continue our series through James. Today, we will be looking through James chapter 5, 1 through 6. In these verses, James is writing towards the wealthy that don't accept Christ as their Savior. But today, we will learn how even these writings can apply to us. Now, let's hear from Dr. Hillhouse. All right, gentlemen, if you have your copy of God's Word, open it up, turn it on. We are in James chapter 5. If you started with us back in August, we started in James uh, chapter 1, verse 1, and we have just kind of made it through over these past several months through the book of James, and we're concluding, of course, uh, our series in James this month. And so we're going to be done here in the next couple weeks. And so as you open up uh, God's Word, we're going to be in James chapter 5, and we're just going to look at the first six verses uh, of James 5. And it's quite fascinating as we look at these six verses because when James is writing, he's writing to guys who are, number one, they're wealthy, and then number two, they are non-Christians. He's writing to Jews that do not follow Jesus Christ, and he's writing to those that are wealthy, dudes that don't believe in Jesus Christ. And when you look at the book of James, James is, of course, all about action. Okay, he, He's all about, hey, taking our faith and then applying it in real life. So it's not just something that we think about. It's just not something that uh, we come here to church and we do. It's not just God that we worship, but we take that faith and we apply it to our lives and we go and we actually practice it. Okay, We actually practice it. And so as James is writing, and as he is concluding his letter, he addresses these guys that are wealthy and yet refuse to believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, James is describing, really, in the first six verses of James chapter 5, Robert Oren, who said this at one point in time. Robert Oren said, and I quote, Every day I get up, I look through the Forbes list of the richest people in America, and if I'm not there... I go to work. And that's who James is addressing. And so when you look at James chapter 5 in the first six verses there, the question becomes is how does this apply to us? Because first of all, a majority of, of us here in this room, and I'm not going to say all, but a majority of us here in this room, we believe Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. We follow Him. We we not only just say it, we not only just believe it, but then we go out there and we practice it. So the question is, is if James is writing to these guys, how does that apply to me and to my life? And I think it does because we see here James giving a warning to those who are rich and who are wealthy. So let's look at the first three verses, starting in James 5, verse 1. It says this, now listen, you rich people. Boy, I tell you what, that's a pretty stout, uh, pretty, pretty stout introduction there. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming to you. Your wealth has rotted and the moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and your silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Um, 
I don't know about you, but uh, I hate musicals. Y'all with me on that? How many of y'all, okay, you, you hate musicals. How many of you like musicals? There's no judgment here. Why? I don't get it. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I'm not a fan. Not, not, not a fan of musicals. If you said, hey, I have two tickets to a musical, I'd say, like, I'd rather see The Dentist, okay? I just, I have no desire to see a musical. I was over at my sister's house uh, several years ago, and she goes, hey, me and, and the family, we're getting ready to sit down and watch The Greatest Showman. And I was like, okay, cool. I heard that was a musical. I'm out. And my sister says, oh, no, it's not a musical. She totally lied to me. It's a musical, y'all. Okay, but The Greatest Showman is about this dude named P.T. Barnum, okay? And if you haven't heard of P.T. Barnum, P.T. Barnum is the Barnum in Barnum and Bailey Circus, okay? Y'all remember that? You used to travel around, had the big pachyderms, all that stuff, okay? Well, the, the, the musical, now movie, the movie musical is about P.T. Barnum and him developing the circus. Now, if you go and you watch that musical, which is like two hours you'll never get back and it's not worth it. <laughs> I will say this, there's some good tunes in there, but beyond that, if you really look at P.T. Barnum and you really look at his life and what P.T. Barnum was about, you will begin to know and understand that this man was not really a good dude. As a matter of fact, he made his whole living, his wealth was accumulated on the backs of those that were under him and those that he oppressed. I mean, it, it was his life mission, really, to just simply abuse people and to build his wealth on their backs. And he was so caught up with wealth, with money, with, with earning, that it is said, as he laid on his deathbed, his last words were a question. And it was this, what were the receipts today in Madison Square Garden? Can you imagine? Those are your last words. What are the receipts in Madison Square? How well did we do today? What was... To take. And so when you think about James writing uh, to these non-Christians, writing to those that are wealthy, how does that apply to us today? Well, I think there are several thoughts. The first thought is this, is that we need to put our trust in the proper place. We need to put our trust in the proper place. If you see here, it says, now listen, you rich people, uh, you weep and you wail because of the misery that is coming to you. It doesn't say that it's here. It says that, hey, there is misery, there is pain, and it is coming for you. Your wealth has rotted and the moths have eaten your clothes. James is addressing both the rich. He is addressing the poor as well. And when you look at these first three verses, I just want to make it abundantly clear that James is not saying that great wealth is bad. He's not saying that wealth is wrong, but what he is saying is that this is a warning for those of you that are wealthy. It is extremely hard to turn and to follow Jesus. He is addressing those non-Christians. Having wealth, having possessions is not a bad thing. However, wealth can be an obstacle 
to coming to Jesus. And some people cannot overcome their wealth in order to get to Jesus. We see that in Matthew 19, verse 16. It says, Then a man came to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to have eternal life? What good thing? And I tell you what, that's something a rich person would say. That's something a wealthy person would say. Hey, how much do I need to write the check for to get me in? What is it going to cost me to get into heaven? I'll be more than happy to stroke that check, to, to drop that money into your bank account. Just what must I do? What must I give to have eternal life? You know, there are a lot of uh, good, wealthy people uh, philanthropists out there uh, in life, and, and they do a lot of good things for a lot of people. You know, you have Bono, he's a big fan of Africa and the whole AIDS thing, and so he sends a lot of money and does a lot for that. You have Warren Buffett, he has the giving pledge, and so um, uh, he gives a lot uh, to different uh, uh, places and, and things. You have Oprah, we can't forget about her. She has the Angel Network. Even Tony Hawk, the famous skateboarder, he has the Tony Hawk Foundation, and he does good for a lot of folks around the country. Matt Damon, you know, he's, he's an actor. His whole deal is to have drinkable water for everyone in the world. And there are a lot of famous people doing a lot of good things for people. And so this man comes to Jesus and he says, Teacher, what must I do to get into heaven? And look at how Jesus replies in Matthew 19, uh, verse 21. Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. When Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Not only did Jesus warn of wealthy people, uh, of wealth keeping people from eternal life, but also in the Old Testament. You know, it's not just Jesus that says, hey, listen, <laughs> wealth can be an obstacle for you to follow me. But we also see this in the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter uh, 31, verse 1, it says this, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, who rely on horses, who trust in the multitudes of their chariots and in the strength of their horsemen. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or seek help from the Lord. Psalm 20, verse 7, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of of the Lord our God. Gentlemen, we live in one of the most uh, affluent uh, uh, areas in Texas. Did y'all know that? We live in one of the most affluent areas of Texas. And it seems, especially now, that more and more businesses are moving here. And as more businesses move here, guess what? More wealth comes to our area. Then, you know, people look at the United States and they look at all that we have. Did you know this is that actually amongst the richest nations of the world, America is actually number 12. Did y'all know that? America is the 12th wealthiest nation in the world. The top five are this. Number five is Ireland. 
Number four is Bernie. Number three is Singapore. Number two is Luxembourg. And number one is Qatar. Those are your top five. And here's what's fascinating is when you look at the wealthiest nations and then you look at just their religion in general, just religion, Christianity specifically, you see a direct correlation. Remember, remember I said the United States is number 12, right? We are the 12th wealthiest nation in the world. Well, in polls, basically Americans claim 62% of Americans claim to be Christian. But in Ireland, the fifth wealthiest nation, 40% claim to be Roman Catholic or, pres- or part of the Presbyterian Church of Ireland. In Bernie, the fourth richest nation, it claims to only have 10% of its population to be Christian. In Singapore, the third richest claims to only have 18% of Christian in their population. In Luxembourg, the second richest nation, this is on their government website, and it states this. Since 1979, the law prohibits any question about religion in the population census. It is clear from surveys conducted in 1999 to 2008 in a framework of European values study published in 2002 and in 2010 retrospectively that Luxembourg, despite its declared moral certainties, experienced a real collapse of the importance attached to religion. They experienced a collapse in the importance of religion, religious education in God, as well as religious practice. The best statistic you can come up with from Luxembourg is from 1999, in which 22% of the respondents said that they went to church at least once a week. That was the best gauge on religion you could find in Luxembourg. And then you have Qatar, who is the first... Uh, uh, country listed as being the most wealthy and Christians make up 13% of the population. And so there's a direct correlation here that we can see just in nations is that as the wealth increases, religion greatly decreases. There was a man, as Jesus was teaching, he shouted to Jesus, Uh, from the crowd, and he was talking about his brother. And he said, hey, listen, (laughs) will you please tell my brother to share his inheritance with me? And in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus responds, and he said to him, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Thomas Fuller said this, riches may leave us Uh, while we live, but we must leave them when we die. Our wealth will only last as long as we do. Our wealth will only last as long as we do. And I'll just be honest, as I was preparing for our time here today, I really struggled with all of this. I struggled with how am I going to communicate this? How, How are we going to talk about Wealth, and how are we going to talk about, you know, Jesus? 
And how are we going to talk about those that struggle? Because for us as men here, we know probably some wealthy dudes that are struggling in their lives. Y'all know that? There are some wealthy guys out there that are struggling. And let, let's be honest, we focus a lot on the poor, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But let us not go after the poor just because they're poor. Jesus didn't come and die just for the poor. Jesus came and he died for all men. He died for all women. He died for all nations, for all colors, for all races, for every single person. And sometimes we neglect the rich. And why is that? I don't know. Um, Y'all know Mike Cantrell? Where is Cantrell? Is he here? Sinner, he's not here. Anyway, let's talk about him. Let's talk about Mike Cantrell. Cantrell came to me a couple couple months ago, and uh, he said, uh, man, y'all know how he is. He said, man, he goes, uh, we need to have us a mission trip to India. And I went, all right, let's go. And he goes, but, he said, we need some CEOs to go. And I said, oh, really, why? He said, well, he said, there are dudes over there in India that will have nothing to do with anybody unless they are equal in their status. And all they want to do is they just want to play golf. They want to play golf and hang out with Americans. And there is a witnessing opportunity there, but nobody wants to take it up. And I said, wait a minute, let's just, let's just break this down, Mike. So you're telling me our mission trip is to go play golf. And he goes, yeah. <laughs> I'm in, right? Who doesn't want to do that? I'd love to. And so guess what? We're going to put a mission trip together just for the mere fact to go and to witness to these CEOs on the golf course. You know why? Because... In India, they don't, uh, they won't associate with anybody beneath them. It, it, it's, 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 it's a class-driven system. And you are either high up on the class or you are low, and those classes do not intermingle. And so for the only way for a Indian, a wealthy Indian man to hear the gospel is to have somebody else of equal stature to listen to what he has to say. Isn't that fascinating? But you know what? It, it's like that here in America too. There are people here. There, are, there is great wealth in our area. Guess what? There are people right next door to you. Man, they need Jesus. They need Jesus. And, it, and it's up to us to go and to tell them and to share with them that and it is their income that keeps them because keeps them from Jesus because here's the deal at the end of the day here's what they'll say they'll say well whatever it is I need I can just go out and buy it I can afford to get it it is of no consequence to me all I need to do is swipe the credit card or write the check and I can have it it is not a problem. If I need the best medical care, I can afford it. If I need, you know, the best transportation, 
I can afford it. I don't know about you, but I sit there and sometimes I say this. If I only had. Y'all with me on that? If I only had. You know, the deal is, is if I only had, it means I just need money to get whatever it is I want. For a lot of folks here, they don't have to worry about that. They say, man, I can have. It is not an issue. And so it is all that stuff, it is all that wealth that keep them from Jesus. The Old Testament says in Exodus and in Deuteronomy, the poor will always be with us. And guess what? The poor need Jesus. Absolutely. The rich need Jesus. Absolutely. You and I, no matter how many zeros we have in our bank account, there could be a lot of zeros or it could be like mine, and there's one zero. We all need Jesus. And if you look in First uh, John chapter 2, verse 15, it says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. I guarantee you there are a lot of dudes that show up on Sunday morning. They're here to check a box. The question is, man, do they really love Jesus? Or do they love their bank account? Do they like to go out there and make the dollar? And if you look at this, we see as, as James continues, he says this in, in verse 4. He says, look, the wages you failed to pay your workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Almighty Lord. And you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who, has not, uh, who was not opposing you. Yeah, he continues to write to the rich. And he says, hey, listen. You rich and wealthy peoples, you that are ungodly, take note that the treatment that you have given to others and the way you have dealt with people in your business dealings does not go unnoticed. It does not go unnoticed. Oppression does not go unnoticed by God. If you have if you kind of type A personality and you need another thought right here, here's that second thought. Oppression does not go unnoticed. Whether it is at a national level, whether it's at a cultural level, whether it's at a personal level, oppression does not go unnoticed. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17, learn to do what is right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Psalm 72, verse 4, may he... Uh, defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, the ultimate tragedy is not the oppression and cruelty of the bad people, but the silence over that by the good people. But the silence of that by the good people. No doubt there are those that use their wealth to oppress, to do whatever it is they want to do. You can open up the newspaper. You can uh, go online and look at the news and you can see article after article and find article after article about those who use their wealth to oppress the needy. And 
I love what, G, uh, what James says. He says, hey, listen, God's taking notice. God is taking notice. And the question is, is how does that apply to us? Remember, God is looking at you too. And He is looking at your finances. And He is looking at your business dealings. And He's looking at how you are handling things in the world. Not only is He looking at you, but He's looking at me as well. He's looking at me and how I deal with other people. He's looking at me and how I make sure and pay for the goods and services that I receive. And he's looking and he's taking notice. Specifically, James points out the needs for payment and services rendered. He says this in verse 4, Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields and cry out and are crying out against you, the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27 and 28, it says this, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I will give it to you when you already have it with you. You know, as I just think about this, and I think about, it's easy to talk about those people out there, isn't it? As a matter of fact, it's way better to talk about them, right? <laughs> let's talk about those people. But let's not look at me and what I do and how I deal with business and what I do in my business dealings, whether it is at a corporate level or whether it is at a personal level. It must be the same, especially for us as, as Christians. And let me just kind of encourage you in this is that people are looking at you and how you deal in business, both in the public as well as in private life. And so it's up to us as men in our homes. I just want to encourage you. Number one, get your financial house in order. Make, and here's what I mean by that. Make sure that what God has given you, <laughs> you are being faithful with. And are you saying, Justin, does that mean we should give a pastor? Should they? Yeah. <laughs> but not just that. But it is about just being generous overall. Not just to give to the church, but to give to those who are in need. Get your financial house in order and make sure that what we do with our finances honors God. And then what we do business-wise, make sure we conduct ourselves in the business world, whether it's private or corporately. In my private dealings, make sure I pay what I owe. If I'm in debt, I need to pay off my debt. If, I'm, uh, if I owe this for a service, then I need to pay for this. If I go to Walmart, I obviously need to pay for that as I walk out the door. Uh, and then that also applies corporately. Hey, there are some things that we have to do corporately that we need to have honest dealings with. And we need to act above reproach. 
In Psalm chapter 9, verses 7 through 10, it says this, The Lord reigns forever. He has established His throne for judgment. He rules the world in righteousness and judges the people with equality. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in troubled times. Those who know Your name trust in You. For You, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek You. Tell you what, just as an encouragement, guys. Let's not be like one of those guys that would oppress those around us or beneath us or above us. Let us not do that. But rather, let us act in a manner that is righteous or that does right things to people, especially when it comes with our money. 2 Thessalonians 1, 6-8 says this, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled, and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with His powerful angels, and He will punish those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. For some of you in here, you don't make a million dollars. Probably for most of us in here, you don't make a million dollars. But I would say probably for a bulk of us in here, we have disposable income. In other words, we can go out to eat after this, right? There are a lot of you who can say, hey, listen, you want to go out to eat? Sure, I can, I can spare a few dollars to, to, to go out to eat. We might have uh, some disposable income. There are some of you you don't have. I mean, it's, it's paycheck to paycheck, and you have to pinch every penny and... I understand that. Been there, done that. I'm there now. <laughs> I'm with you. Okay? Woo! There's some of you, you don't even have to worry. It, 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 it does not matter. These first six verses of James, what is he talking about? He's talking about the rich that don't know Jesus. He's saying, hey, listen, there are those that are wealthy. They don't care. And there's going to be a time of judgment. Today, for us here in this room, how does that apply to us? Let us... Look at our lives. Look at how God has blessed us. And then let us use what God has blessed us with to further His kingdom. That's the encouragement. And let us not become like those uh, non-Christians out there where money becomes a stumbling block. Um, we, we could go on and on and on about finances. We could go on and on about how God has called us um, to live um, a, a righteous life and, and have a financial life that is holy to Him. But today, we just want to—I just wanted to simply give you a warning uh, from James, and and this isn't my warning. This is James's warning: is Hey, don't let finances get in your way of obedience to Jesus Christ. Don't let finances get in the way of salvation. Don't let your bank account stand between you and eternity. And there are some of you here in this room that, man, church is just a check mark coming here on Tuesday morning. We're glad that you're here, but it is just a check mark. So I want to encourage you, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, or there are some of you here, you're struggling. <laughs> you're struggling right now in, in your uh, relationship with God. And it could be that money is, is an issue. I mean, we have plenty 
of pastors here. We have Sloan's, we have Joe Mark, we have Justin Frazier, we got Scott Sanford over there. Man, we'd love to talk to you about that and how you can get your heart and your life right. Because let's just be honest, at some point in time, Jesus is coming back and the money in your bank account is not going to matter. Y'all with me on that? The money in your bank account is not going to matter. The only thing that matters is eternity. The question is, is what are you going to do with that right here, right now? So if you don't know Jesus Christ, we'd love to talk to you about salvation. If you want to kind of get your heart and life right, is this, if this is a turning point for you in your life, then hey, we'd love to talk to you about that. And my prayer is for you today, as we all leave this room, is that we would honor God in how we deal with others. We would honor God with our finances and that we would honor God in our interactions with those both in the business world, but also at home. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for this day. Thank you that we could come before you today. And uh, God, just talk about finances. Father, you talk about Jesus. You talked about money more than you did heaven and hell combined while you were here on earth. And so, Lord, um, may we be sensitive to what you have us do with our pocketbooks. May we be sensitive to uh, uh, what you would have us do as we honor you uh, with our finances and, and, Father, as we help others. And, Father, may we not be the men that lord our wealth over anybody, but, Father, may we be men who quietly use our wealth to further your kingdom. Uh, Father, may we do it with a humble heart. May we do it with a gentle heart. May we do it with a heart that has the attitude of, of gratitude. Um, God, we, we love you. We thank you for today. And Father, please be with us and make our hands productive wherever it is that we go. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And all God's been said, amen. amen. Y'all have a great day. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to today's Bible study. For more information regarding Codwood Creek, go to codwoodcreek.org. And we hope you tune in next time for more episodes of Men's Bible Study.